I am Citizen 44. Hi, Mark. How you doing, buddy? Good, man. How you doing? I'm good. By the way, I just want to say thank you up front. How long have I lived with you now? About a month. How's it going? You're very clean. Shockingly clean. I am shockingly clean, right? Like, strangely clean. I don't know if you're putting on an act or you're really that clean. No, dude, that's me. I don't know if one day the place is going to have garbage everywhere and, oh, the jig is up. Nope, no jig. I'm impressed. By the way, cooking, cleaning, it's a great arrangement because I love to clean and you love to cook. See, the funny thing is I love to cook, but I hate to clean. But now you don't have to clean because I clean and you cook. That doesn't sound gay. I don't care. You're the one who's got uh, the fucking homophobic hangout right that there's here. anything wrong with it. No, my father's gay. You get your floors swept every day. It's a perk, I'll tell you that. It is a perk. By the way, you have a great house. Let me just say that. Very appreciative of your allowing me to stay there for a little bit. and uh, It's been good for me because I don't know if you know this about me, but I don't get along with others that well. I thought you were going to just say, I don't like people. It's I more, used to not like people that's true. at all. Yeah. Now I tolerate people. Okay. But I haven't had a roommate since I was about 22. So it proves that I have more patience than I used to. It also proves how good a fucking roommate I am. Yeah, you got me there. I clean that house like I own that house. Yeah, what inspires you to be so clean? When my shit is tight, my clothes are clean, I got fresh sheets on my bed, the floor's clean, there's not cat and dog hair everywhere. It makes me feel very comfortable. Well, it's a great quality to have. Thank you. Definitely. I mean, not that I'm not clean, I just usually hire people to do that stuff. It's fucking great, I have to say. Thank you. I've had many roommates, Julie Aikens. How long after we have a meal is that shit washed and done? Yeah, it's really rare because most people do it in the morning. You get right on it, right to it. Anyway, so again, thank you. It's been really pretty effortless, the whole thing. It's fun. It's good. I'm going to need you to get out tomorrow. Okay. All right. Well, I can. Uh, Go on then. I've lived on the street before for two days, so I can do it again in Ashland now for a couple days. Hey, can I borrow your laptop? Huh? Can I borrow your laptop? Yeah, uh, I'll have to contact the homeless people I gave it away to in San Francisco to see if they still have that. Oh, right. How are the Zamed brothers? they on tour? Man, those guys are always on tour. Where are they now? Kansas. Huh. Where in Kansas? Uh, Topeka? No, they played Topeka, though. Whamigo or Whamigo? What? W-A-M-E-G-O. Huh. Whamigo. Winnebago? Have they been to their new house that they just bought? They're right now. Oh, they are? This week. Okay. uh, So they take little breaks. Yeah. Are they enjoying being uh, homeowners? Yeah, but it's expensive. That's why I don't own shit. When you kick me out, and you will, I only have two tubs and a backpack full of clothes that I own. That is really, that is my whole life at this point. That's very minimalist. What are you looking for? The joint? Yeah. It's in here. So the Zamed boys are good. I just paid my rent to you and to Gary. And speaking of Gary, he's got his movie coming out. Is it this Saturday? Yeah, it's coming up. What's the movie called? Phoenix, Oregon. Phoenix, Oregon. That's correct. It's classy. He sold out the armory here in Ashland for the world premiere. Second. One hour. Oh, one hour. Yeah, one second. Right. He sold every ticket. It's your lucky day. And this is the beginning of the Ashland Independent Film Festival, which is about to get underway. The big event here in Ashland, people come from literally all over the world to come to our film festival. Right, that guy from Kazakhstan's coming. Ivan? Hello, brother. Tell me where the armory is. It's not for another week, Ivan. Why are you going now? Because in my country, that's how we do it. Okay. Thanks, Ivan. Hey, Richie, Rich, Rich, Rich. Thank you for turning me on hardcore to Mr. Ricky Gervais, who I consider the Larry David of the UK. Love, Ricky. What's your favorite show from Ricky Gervais so far? 
Life's Too Short is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. The star is Warwick, what's his last name? Warwick Davis. Warwick Davis was the star of a movie back in the 80s called Willow. Little guy. Yeah, little guy. Like Mickey. From Seinfeld. Yeah, he's a little person. Yeah, they're technically called dwarves, but they refer to each other as little people. Anyway, we watched the whole series. It's hilarious. HBO? It's on HBO. HBO. One season, eight episodes. Okay, and then we watched Afterlife. Afterlife is the new Netflix show. Really something for everybody. Very sweet, pulls at your heartstrings a little bit. So I love Ricky Gervais. He's actually a big supporter of the Animal Kingdom. Right now I'm in the middle of the gayest show I've ever seen and I quite love it. Uh, It's called Versailles. I'm reading the last book of the series of Harry Potter and I hear all this screaming and yelling coming out of your laptop. I can't stop watching it. You're done tonight. What's the next horrible thing you're going to watch that I have to suffer through listening to? I'll find something. Okay. You've made some incredible meals lately. We had spaghetti squash. Roasted spaghetti squash. Yeah. I don't know if a lot of people know about this. I told my daughter about it. She'd never heard of it. Spaghetti squash, That's right? That's what it's called, spaghetti squash. You roast this thing, and then you scrape out the inside, and it looks like pasta. It looks like spaghetti. But without the carbs. It's a vegetable. You're eating a vegetable as a base. Right. Slap some sauce on it. It's incredible. I really highly recommend it. If you literally want to gorge yourself on pasta, literally gorge yourself, not gain an ounce. Right. This is your ticket. You scrape this thing out and you look at it on the plate. It looks like you've got a plate of regular pasta. If you're in Eugene, is it Eugene or Eugene? I say Eugene. So if you're in Eugene and you're taking your daughter to go check out UFO, go to Viva Grill. I think it's on 11th Avenue. It's fantastic. It was really a wonderful eating experience that I shared with my daughter. Glad you uh, found it. Yeah, I'm glad I uh, found it too. It wasn't that hard to find. And it's only like four blocks from the university. And what a cool campus. They have everything there. I mean, literally everything. Any kind of food you want. Where the sheep have middle names. What? I don't even understand what you're saying. So what are you doing these days besides entertaining me? Floating all around. Floating all around? Floating around. And, um... Well... Gosh. Guess who's on the show today? Who? My former roommate and city councilor on the Ashland City Council, Julie Akins. She's on this show, show number 65. Wow. Do you have anybody in the wings? We are going to have Mr. Fabrice Morvan on the show. He was the other half of the duo, the 90s musical duo, Millie Vanilli. They were massive for a minute. What's his name? Fab what? Who? Fab... Oh, yeah, Fab. Fabrice Morvan? Fabrice Morvan. He's a wonderful human being. He's French. He's classy. And he lives in uh, Amsterdam. I think he's going to be a fun guest. Super fun. We're not getting Jimmy Walker. Because I'm an idiot. Partially that's your fault as my producer. I sent a little email. You didn't look at the email first to say, hey, idiot. I'm not a proofreader. Okay. Well, you've proved that. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, you just keep going after it. That's my thing is it doesn't matter. It's fine. There's plenty of other people. Yeah. I've had such great guests on. By the way, thank you for turning me on to some really fun people. Sure. What year are we in? 2019? Yeah. We're going to have a lot of really great shows this year. I'll uh, talk to some uh, good people here about being on the show. That's great. Don't look for Richard Lewis as a guest on my show. It was very generous of him to call in a birthday message on show number 60 or whatever the hell it was, but I think he's done with me. They're filming Curb Your Enthusiasm right now, season 10. Wow. 
For anybody who's listened to the show from the beginning, I think every show has either a Seinfeld or a Curb reference in it of some sort. Even if I just say, pretty, 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 or some ism thereof for for thou. Right. Yeah. So show number 65. Let's go. Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. This is show number 65. Today on the show is a dear friend, my former roommate and city councilor, Julie Aikens. Great to have her on the show, super nice lady, very forward-thinking, proactive, caring, thoughtful, empath kind of person. Also on the show, we got Rich, Rich Reese, producer Rich Reese. And my daughter, Zoe. Super excited to have Zoe on the show. It's been a long time. All is good here in Ashland. The weather is beautiful. It's rainy, then it's sunny, it's warm, then it's cold, but it's always lovely. And it's great to be here in Ashland, Oregon, living my life. Here we go with Julie Aikens. It's Julie Akins. Hi, Mark. We used to be roommates. Yeah, we did. It was a storied time. It was a fabulous living experience that I recall. It was really fun. You know what I remember? I remember the day that cannabis became legal and everyone in the complex went out on the front lawn and sparked one up. Did you participate? I in that? totally did. I was super excited. It was so cool. That was July of 2016, I believe. Yep, I think you're right about that. It was really cool. I, and I remember before that, because you and I were both kind of gigging, and people would sometimes pay us in small bags of weed. So we would find it on our doorstep, and I'd be thinking, is this mine or is this Mark's? You were in the news delivery business, were you not? I was all my life. You were an on-air personality, weren't you? Yeah, I was for a lot of years. I think I just like stories. So if I can wrap it in the form of a story, I remember it. I love stories. You recently ran for public office here in good old Ashland, Oregon. I and did. won. I did. What did you win? What kind of prize? Crazy. I won the prize of going to four meetings a month and listening for four hours to various policy decisions about sewer treatment plants. And I'm so excited. So happy I won. I'm teasing about it. I'm a total policy wonk. I love that stuff. I love the detail of what creates community. I love the overarching idea of setting priorities. I love the idea of trying to take care of people. And I think that the city of Ashland has lost its way on this. I think it is trying to aspenize itself and I'm against it. I don't wanna become an Aspen. I want us to be a Pacific Northwest former logging town with great entertainment and theater who also cares for each other. We have the money, let's spend it right. That's how I feel. So why don't you explain the Aspenizing thing? Have you been to Aspen? No. Okay. It's this very upscale town where you can't get a cup of coffee for less than six bucks. There's no grungy bars. There's no poor people. 
There's no regular stuff there. It's just all about very wealthy people who fly in on private jets. That's fine if that's where you're at. That's just not interesting to me. I want to live in a town where, for instance, people who have lost their job and have to sleep in their car don't get a ticket for $110 because if you had $110, you wouldn't be sleeping in your car. So I would like to reverse that kind of policy. I don't see why we can't create a designated place where people who don't have a home and sleep in their cars can't be. They do it in a lot of other cities. In fact, I did a report for the newspaper that showed that the city of Ashland gives more citations for people illegally camping, although we know it's not camping, illegally sleeping. We give more tickets than any other town. We gave more than Denver, which is a huge homeless population. So I think the idea was that if we let homeless people know they're not welcome here, they'll go away. The problem is a lot of the people who are homeless in Ashland are Ashland residents, Jackson County residents. They don't have anywhere to go. This is their home, it's where they're from. And there are also a lot of people who do come here for work, who want to work in the cannabis fields and are looking for jobs. There are people who are currently working and are making 10 bucks an hour and can't afford rent. What does the future of Ashland look like? You're a city council member now and what's happening? Well, I haven't been sworn in yet, but this is what I ran on. What we need to do is create solutions on a variety of levels. First of all, we have to look at our forestry plans and how we're going to deal with climate change, which is clearly real, affecting all of the West Coast and causing this desertification effect. So we have to really think about that and what we're going to do about that. We do have to try to find ways to support our local businesses. I think that there are perhaps some business grants and loans we could be looking at, direct loans, to try to help businesses. And I also think we need to stop depending on tourism as our only income source. I think that we could encourage more employers like Blackstone Audio. I think there are living wage jobs that we could bring here, and I think there's light manufacturing that we can bring here. We have an enterprise zone off Hersey. We need to fix that street, by the way, for trucks to get up and down. We have options that I don't think we've really looked into because we were so dependent on tourism. I just don't think that a single rail economy is prudent. The perception of Ashland is that it's this liberal bubble. But the reality of the way Ashland has been governing itself is that it's been a chamber of commerce community. It's been a business community, but only tourism business, which is ironic. That's what it's been doing, and I just don't think it's future-sighted. I mean, the Shakespeare Festival in itself is in a lot of trouble. All its upper management structure is leaving. They're in the red themselves, and typically are. It's a nonprofit, and so it's a struggle, I guess. But now it's even worse with the smoke. So. I don't think that we can count on the Shakespeare Festival, and I do enjoy the festival, but I don't think we can count on it to run the town and save us. Well, it sounds like opportunity is knocking on the door. This is when you want to start responding with new ideas instead of Einstein's theory of insanity of going through the same motions, hoping that something else is going to happen. Yeah, I completely agree. We have all these wonderful creatives running around town, right? Writers, artists, musicians, people like yourself. I don't see why we can't harness that power to create some industry around that, some ancillary industry. Why can't we support these folks and create incubators for artists to do more things in this community and hire more people and get bigger? That's a great resource that's just sitting here. And a lot of really smart and creative people can't afford to stay here and we're losing these people. We're how far from Portland? 
Green technology in Oregon is a huge industry. How can we attract or start companies here? I think we have to get on the map as a place that's open to that, for one. I do think we have to look at the urban growth boundary. I know that's a complicated issue because our policy has always been infill, 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 but we're pretty filled in. So we might want to look at that. We might want to look at heights of buildings. Not that we want high rises, but we might allow buildings in some places to be a little taller so that you could have businesses downstairs and homes upstairs. We've looked at some of that. I think we could look at more of that. And we do have to figure out how to incentivize people to come here. I think that it's really hard to get a business to want to come here if they're not going to get tax breaks, if it's going to be really difficult to build things. It's very hard for developers to get through the maze that we have in our planning department and through our planning commission. I think we need to look at those rules and see if they're all really still valid at this point in time. There's different ways to operate in different seasons. There was a time when this town was just on fire with tourism and was doing really well. And there was a time when prices were still affordable. So that was working. But now we're in a different situation. We have an economy that's quite uncertain and we have the workforce that hasn't kept up with the cost of living. We have houses that are not affordable. We have to start rejiggering how we think of things. I'm not shy about this. I'm a socialist, have been all my life. I think we need to start looking at how do we as governments take care of people? Can we create living wage rules? Can we create ordinances saying, if you're a living wage employer, we'll give you this incentive. If you're not, we just assume you not come here. We need to start really thinking about how we're gonna take care of our people. And when we take care of our people, they in turn make the economy flourish. It's a trickle up, not a trickle down that works. It's a bubbling up. And I understand that folks are discouraged. I've been pretty discouraged since 2016. It's been a rough couple of years for all of us. But I do think that there's a turn. I do think there's a turn in attitude. I do think there's a turn nationally, and I think there is locally, toward a different system of governing. Now, I recognize I am just one vote and one voice on the council. I'm a minority progressive. Tanya Graham was elected. She's pretty progressive but there's still just two of us. So we need the citizens to show up. I think if people show up and are vocal and are clear, I do think we can affect change. And we've got to try, what's the option? Why not put the responsibility back in our hands where most of the intelligence lies by numbers alone and help guide in making good decisions that serve the entire community? I agree. Of course, that's how it's supposed to work. I had a conversation, my first official conversation a couple weeks ago, when the situation came down with a young man of color who was wrongfully arrested near 7-Eleven. The dispensary nearby complained that this person was harassing an employee, and the police responded. There was a young African-American guy walking through the parking lot. They stopped him and said he fit a description, and he said, well, I didn't do it. They didn't take him in and have the eyewitness identify him, nor did they check it against the tape, and the kid spent a night in jail wrongfully. It was a bad situation. The police chief later apologized to his family, and the city was pretty transparent about saying what happened and what they're going to do to try to avoid this in the future. Okay, good on them. But I received this phone call from the city manager, and we were talking about it, and I was asking her questions. I used the term us, referring to the city. And I got off the phone, and I thought, I need to really be constantly vigilant about who us and we are. Us is not the city of Ashland as opposed to the people of Ashland. Us 
comprises all the people of Ashland, including people in government. And so I'm mindful of that. Of course, us is the people. We are the people. And it's dicey because if you're governing, you have to know what we as a community want. So if no one shows up to tell you, then you can solicit by asking people, what do you think we should do about this? But if no one answers the question and you're there, you're sort of guesstimating at what the right thing is to do without citizen input. So it's really important that we all participate. I think it requires an invitation. Expecting us to just show up at these meetings is foolishness. When I say they, because that is a group of people that is separate from us in everybody's perception. Yeah, and that's a problem. What do you suggest then? Well, lead us to you. Bring us to you in some way. Reach out to your community. You're a public servant. Be in public. Right. Don't just be in your office behind closed doors making decisions for people you don't even know. You're certainly going to get a much better result when you include me in the decision making. And it takes a lot of burden off you. Just to clear that up, just so people don't think there's fat cats sitting in offices making decisions. We know that happens. It's happening in Congress. $174,000 for a freshman, which people are saying isn't much. I think that's a lot. What is it? $174,000 for what? To become a freshman congressperson. That's in D.C. Here, as a counselor, it's free. You don't get any money. Right. And there's no office or privileges or anything like that. So my office is where it's always been. It's at a little desk in my living room. But absolutely, being available is important. I've been trying to get people to express interest in some forums at the Armory. I'd like to have some greater community forums where people really feel welcomed. You can't do a public hearing in that setting by law. You have to have them at regular city council meetings and it has to be a prescribed amount of time. That's just the way the law works. And I don't think that's a bad law. But I would like to have more community gatherings invite people to talk in a less structured environment so I can get from them what they really want, what we really want, what we need as a community. Because it is hard. You know, the council meeting, you have to speak to a specific issue. You only have so many minutes. Present some documents if you want to, and that's it. And there's not even an engagement allowed. I have to suspend the rules to ask a question. There are state laws around Sunshine Acts, about public accountability, about people stating in the record who they are. There's accountability in terms of how we interact with people. If counselors just freeform and start just talking to everybody and having a forum, then we can't actually get the business done that the citizens need done. So there are some logical reasons for that. That said, I do think we need unstructured conversations so that we can all just talk amongst ourselves about what we want. And I'm really deep in trying to engage people into having a few of those. So far, I haven't gotten a lot of responses, but maybe people will hear this and reach out because I do want to do that. I want to have more conversations so that we can make sure we are getting it right. That's it. I just want to get it right. And I think that we can all participate a little bit more. I'll use this as an example. I'm big into meditation. I believe that it's absolutely important to keep yourself centered. So 20 minutes a day is the recommendation. And when I say to people, hey, you know, if you sit for 20 minutes a day, you'll have a clearer head. Oh, I don't have time for that. And I'm thinking, but I just saw you on Facebook for 45 minutes. So sometimes we have to use our time in a better way. And I do think participating in your local community is a really great way to spend your time. I'm a freelance writer. I don't make much money. There's a lot of times I don't have any money. 
and I'm working for free at City Hall. I eat too, I have rent, I got a car, but I'm willing to give up my time that I could be monetizing, going on vacation or whatever, to be part of this. Democracy requires vigilance and hard work. We have to be willing to do it. And I think we've lost track of that a bit. I really do. We all are in this together and we have to stand together. We have a ton of rights still left that we can be exercising and we need to be. But if you don't know you have them, you aren't educated enough to know that you should have them and care about it, and you're struggling to feed your family, these are not things that are occurring to you. That's not important. Survival is important. We're in a survival mentality now. And when you're in survival mentality, your back is up against the wall. It's fight, flight, or freeze. Although, you know, we did go in cycles. We had the Great Depression. Our parents lived through it. They struggled mightily. They didn't have any money. They were in a survival scenario. And what sprang out of that was the New Deal. So people are capable, even in survival mode. I mean, this is all just part of being a citizen. I actually think that the millennials are doing some cool stuff. I was impressed when I taught at SOU. I was impressed by my students and the stuff that they knew and the things they were working on. We do actually have a fairly educated millennial group. Most of these people have been to college. Most of them have taken the trouble to learn things. And I think that what happened is a lot of millennials got quite discouraged because people in their 20s and early 30s don't want to go to work and work full time and not have enough for rent and have to have five guys living in an apartment. I was just talking to my son the other days in Tucson getting his graduate degree. And he said, man, I'm so tired of delivering sandwiches while I'm going to school and living with five guys in an apartment. When am I going to be an adult? I'm sick and tired of it. And I asked him back, so when are you going to be an adult? What are you going to do about it? And we started talking about strategies about how he can get engaged and involved where he lives. We need living wage jobs. We need employers to understand that just because someone works with you doesn't mean they're your slave. It doesn't mean that you can compel them to work long hours at low pay. There was a wonderful article in the Washington Post this week, and it was so terrific. And it was all about these young people talking about how they deal with abusive employers. They don't. It's about time. It's about time people started standing up for their rights and their dignity as individuals. And if we're going to affect change, that's how we're going to do it. I love how the French went to the streets and just started wrecking shit when Macron started that nonsense of trying to be like a baby Trump and creating all these tax breaks for the wealthy and trying to break unions, all the nonsense he was up to. They just didn't tolerate it. If we want this to stop, we can't tolerate it. There's more of us than them. You know, I definitely think that people are afraid and I don't think that we need to be. I think that we can take our power. I think we can create a general strike. I think we can do things because there is still more common people, more working people. I mean, it's called the 1%, so it's not the majority. That's why I'm talking about meditation, man. People will do anything. They will literally crawl on their hands and knees 2,000 miles to a church to get blessed, but they will not sit still for 20 minutes and look at what the content of their head is. They will not watch their thoughts for 20 minutes because it's so painful to lock yourself in a room with yourself and see the nonsense that rolls across your brain. It's really scary, but it's the only way, in my opinion, and I try not to be unilateral, there's only one way. I don't believe that on most things, but on this one thing, I do tend to think it's kind of the only way to get control of your own brain. 
And once you change your thoughts, you do change your life. You do. Well, there's no doubt. And if you want change to happen, you have to change what you're doing. It's how I end every show. Absolutely right. This is the result of not knowing your social responsibility, your individual responsibility. And we all have something really great about us, but we don't know what it is until we actually look at ourselves. Here's the good news. When you start meditating regularly and looking at your thoughts, guess what you find out? You're actually a pretty nice person and you have joy that's underneath all your grief and anxiety that's just sitting there waiting to pop out at you. You have all kinds of great stuff in your head and you can actually heal certain physical properties of your brain through this process. It's been given to us as a gift and we can just access it. And when you start looking at your thoughts, realizing that your thoughts don't own you, that you're not your thoughts. And there are times in everyone's life where you get so anxious that you think that your anxiety is the reality, that something bad is really going to happen. I'll confess this to you. After the election, I was so afraid, and maybe it's epigenetic because of my grandmother and her whole family who had to flee Eastern Europe because of a fascist. I was afraid of fascism taking over this country, and I was literally afraid for my own safety. I got really anxious, struggling with presenting myself in the world for a period of time. And then I sat and I watched my thoughts, and I dipped deeper into my own practice, and I realized that I had the strength that, you know what, even if that happened, I would fight it. I would find a way to fight it. So I switched how I reacted to that because fear is only useful if you're being chased by a predator. There's no other time that you really need that. So I started dropping out of the fear. I started looking for other people who felt as I felt. I started thinking about how I can get involved, how I could be part of a progressive socialist wave. I started getting my courage back, thinking differently and putting myself out there and found so many others like me. That's really what it is. If you're floating down a river and you're terrified, look around for the others and try to relax into it and figure out a strategy but you can't do any of that unless you're calm and unless you know who you are. And meditation helps you do that. I feel like a door-to-door -door meditation salesperson. Knock, knock, hi, do you have 20 minutes? I'll change your life. But it's true, it works. Equanimity now, man. Equanimity now, man. I'm gonna put a plug in. I do a little community thing where we sit in meditation, we talk about what's on our minds, we play some music, and it's just this nice way of coming together and being in community in a quiet, mindful manner. I do it every Wednesday at the Wellsprings Community Center from 12.30 to 1.30. It's absolutely free. And I welcome people to bring their kids because it's really important for children to learn this early. And they can do it. We think they can't do it. They can do it. My poor granddaughter, she's 10 now, and I'm like, 15 minutes, girl. Sometimes she'll look around and, you know, fidget, but she's still sitting still. She still has the opportunity to figure out who she is. And that's rich ground. There's always an opportunity to start over and do better when you know better. I do think there are lots of good people doing cool shit every day. And I do think we don't spend enough time thinking about those people. Thich Nhat Hanh's still around. He's still doing super cool shit. I was reading about the farm bill and hemp is included. So now hemp is going to be grown across the country. That's hugely exciting in terms of its ability to create better fuel that's less disruptive to the environment. 
It's hugely important for the economy of Oregon because we grow that stuff like nobody's business. Hemp is going to save this country. Here, here. You can make so much from it. We can make right. cars out of it. You can make anything out of it. I agree. Pioneer that right here in Ashland, Oregon. Start developing a product that we're growing everywhere here to begin with. Hell yeah, I agree, absolutely. We need to be manufacturing that. We need to be creating. So that actually got through the farm bill and I was really excited by that. I read the other day too that something like five billion fewer animals were killed last year for food because people are eating less meat. There's all kinds of young people doing really exciting, cool stuff. You have two wonderful children. They're going to do good stuff in the world. I have two kids and they're already doing good stuff. My daughter's had to move to White City to afford her first house. And she just wrote to me today and she goes, you know, there are a lot of good people in this community and I've engaged an entire neighborhood group. We're meeting regularly and figuring out what we can do better here and how to make this a more welcoming, inclusive community. Do you have any ideas how I could expand that further? This is a 30-year-old woman with two kids. She still wants to do good stuff. I think people want to be connected. They want to be in community. They want to be helpful. We just need to tell them we believe in them and we're here for them. And I think we can make stuff happen. I know I'm the queen of positivity, but let's try. I'm all about positivity. I'm a hopefulist. I'm not an optimist and I'm not a pessimist at all. I'm a hopefulist because I know we're just where we are now. Of course, there's wonderful things being done every day by human beings. Right? It's just a matter of increasing the volume so it outweighs the other numbers of people that are not doing anything that are suffering because they're also not participating. Well, they might be in a frozen state with all this fear, right? Fight, flight, or freeze. I think folks are just frozen. They don't know what to do. They're afraid of doing the wrong thing and making it even worse. We're our only natural predators. We are doing it to ourselves. Nothing is doing anything to us. Isn't that sad? It's good to know that. No one is trying to take us out but us. Yeah, it's true. Barbara Kingsolver is a great writer and biologist writes often that human beings are the only species that is foolish enough to foul their water and food supply. We're cookie pants. Yeah, it's nuts. I mean, selling water rights to Coca-Cola and having them poison your water, it's super sad and ridiculous. And El Salvador has done that in large measure at the end of an American gun. The U.S. government has to stop getting in everyone's business in order to support our businesses. I want a government for and by the people. I'm not here to support Coca-Cola. I don't care if Coca-Cola goes broke. I think we need to come up with better business models than that anyway, than selling people sugary drinks that poisons them over time. I'm not in favor of that. We have to stop buying it. Caveat emptor, buyer beware. There will be no history books in the future because it's futile to look back. We need to start doing new things. That's a really avant-garde perspective around history. You're backed up by this Czechoslovakian writer, Milan Kundera. He's the unbearable lightness of being an ignorance guy. And he writes about exactly what you're saying. People are incapable of learning from history because we don't actually know what the real history is because the people who write the history are writing it through their own personal filter. And most of the time they don't remember it accurately. It's not intended to be cruel, it's just inaccurate. Not only is it inaccurate, but it is a constant regurgitation and demonstration of how fucked we are. (laughs) And I don't need to be reminded of how shitty we were back then. I want to learn how to be a better person. 
I want to start thinking about what I'm doing today going forward. I would like to grant everybody a clean slate. I don't care if you're Hitler. I don't give a shit what you did yesterday, but everything you do going forward starting today, you are fully responsible for it. And I'm gonna teach you, I'm gonna train you how to be a highly conscious human being. And you should never have to look back. I asked my daughter, I said, I want you to pretend you're walking down the street. And while you're walking down the street, I want you to turn your head around and try and look backward and see what happens to you. We have to stop looking back. Mm. We need to start planning for now. You can't take two steps back and one step forward because it means you're still going backwards. Yeah, I know, right? So we need to start really teaching people how to move forward, how to progress, how to be progressive, how to come up with new ideas, come up with new jobs, new ways of doing everything. Right because the old ways are not serving us and they never will again. Even the Declaration of Independence was an insurance policy. They knew then this thing was gonna fail eventually. It was a temporary solution. Well, I think that the moneyed people, the super wealthy in this country who are pulling the strings, I think we can get their attention by work stoppages and general strikes and not buying shit. I don't know that there's any morality in large corporations except making money. I think there's a good chance that natural disaster, something will put us all even. Then we're all in the same lifeboat trying to survive. And it won't matter how much money you have because you need your brother and sister right next to you. That's the canticle for Leibowitz, post-apocalyptic reality. That may be what happens. I, I follow this global warming and climate change, and you're seeing this scary shit. Icebergs are melting these ancient icebergs and there's all kinds of crazy bacteria and germs in there that have not been seen in modern times and we don't have a defense for it there's all kinds of horror that could come our way or may not we may figure it out i'm hopeful that we will i don't know how this ends i do tend to be like you uh, what did you call yourself a, a hopefulist a hopefulist i tend to run the same way i do believe that over time things make sense over long and deep time, maybe not in the short term. I thought that when the 2016 election happened, it was the end of my beautiful country that I loved all my life. And I was very disturbed. And then I saw people mobilize, galvanize, engage. I saw changes coming. And I remember the people who said to me, no, 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 this is gonna be okay. This is gonna wake us up. And I thought they were crazy, but you know what? I think they were right. I think that we have good reason to hope and we have good reason not to hope. But what we need to do is fall on the side of hope and get our ass in gear and make that happen. The strongest force around is still love and connection. And if we're gonna make something happen, we gotta love each other and connect with each other. And when you see somebody parked in a car with three kids freezing in the winter because they don't have a house, get off your ass and do something. Don't walk by and go, oh, isn't that sad? Or why don't they get a job? It doesn't damn well matter why they don't get a job. Probably they have a job and it doesn't pay enough for an apartment. Treat yep. people like you want to be treated. Yep. The golden rule is not something that's necessarily taught in school. And these are not principles of our lives anymore. We don't have any fundamental human foundation that connects us because we've been so fragmented intentionally. Mm. Psychology 101, divide and conquer. And when you get people scared and needing to just take care of their business at home, they don't give a shit about anybody else. 
That's amazing to me. I'm amazed that anybody can walk by someone else's suffering and not think anything about it. I don't know. Those people are not meditating. They're not meditating. They need to get on the mat and start looking at their thoughts as a true story. <laughs> Where were you raised and born? Did Well, I was born in Glendale, California. And then my family moved to the Bay Area when I was a super tiny person. I lived in Concord. And then when I was five, I moved to Seattle, where I was raised all the way through college. My father passed away. My mother's still living, has dementia. I have three older brothers and a younger sister. Super Baptist, Republican conservatives. I don't care about disagreeing, but it doesn't need to be hateful. I do hope that at some point that gets better. I'll don't just... give up on us, baby. <laughs> like Rodney King said, can't we just get along? Yeah. Can't we right. find some common ground, some mutual appreciation for the fact that we were invited to this incredible party and not be such assholes? Yeah, you're right about that. We think our thoughts are us. So if you have an opinion and someone tells you that that opinion is wrong, we think that they're saying that you're wrong as a person, that you are not valid. But that's not true. They're just saying, I don't really like Christmas lights. Leave it at face value. You may love Christmas lights. They don't like Christmas lights. It doesn't define them nor you. But we believe our thoughts are who we are so deeply and our opinions are who we are so deeply that we believe that we're fighting for our very survival because we're so caught in our egoic reality that isn't really reality. And we've sort of lost our idea of where our priorities are. As you know, I was going up and down the West Coast embedded in homeless camps, just talking to people and trying to learn more about their lives. It was an incredibly rewarding experience. And mostly what I found was a lot of good human, really generous people who I like spending time with, really much more than a lot of other people I've spent time with, frankly. Found it to be a really vibrant community of people, partly because they're connected because they have to be. They have to form a community because it's sort of, it is them against the world and they feel it. So they connect. There's also a barter economy because nobody has any cash. So it's like, hey, you know, you got a banana, I got an apple, let's switch. It's a really rudimentary kind of community that I found super engaging and wanted to spend more time in. I really enjoyed it. That said, because I have a super old phone, but it works. And I had several instances where I was interviewing people and taking notes on my phone and they were like, man, homie, you need to get a real job soon. Your phone is shot. <laughs> it was really funny. I'm like, wow. So I've got the homeless guy with a flip phone making fun of me, throwing shade on me for my phone. And then I kind of thought, my priorities are right. Good. Speaking of, can you talk about the project you did with the bus? Yeah, I can talk about it. I did this trip and I interviewed lots of people and many of these people were working people. Many of these people were families living in tents and the parents would get up in the morning and go to work and the kids would go to school and then they would come back to a tent. This was super true in Orange County all along that watershed near Angel Stadium. And the more people I came to meet, the more I realized that they just needed a shelter that wasn't a tent. And I looked at tiny house communities in my travels and they're okay, but they don't include children for the most part because of liability, which is weird. No one's worried about the liability of letting a kid die in the street. So I started looking at it and I met a woman who was living in a school bus with her six children. Her husband was in the process of dying. They bought the bus together and their dream was to fix it up into a house. And then they were gonna get a piece of land and live on this land and homeschool. That's a dream of a lot of young people just sick of the bullshit in society we've been talking about. So they want to escape it with their kids. Noble effort. 
But when he got sick and began his descent into death, she was there alone with her kids and she couldn't work because she had six little kids. So she was trying to make it work in this bus. She was driving around from place to place to avoid getting stopped by the cops and questioned by social workers. And her bus was completely unfinished, like it had virtually nothing. One bookcase had been built before he got too sick to continue. And she couldn't get it done on her own with the kids. So she was trying to make it work. And eventually she lost everything. Her children were taken away by CPS and she lost the bus couldn't continue with it, couldn't even keep gas in it. And I don't know what happened to her. She's in the wind. I haven't seen her since. But her story stuck in my head. And I thought about it and started looking at ways that I could help bring housing into fruition for homeless children and families. And I realized there aren't enough brick and mortar houses that people can afford to live in. If you're making 10 bucks an hour, it doesn't do me any good to do first last deposit and three months rent because they'll be homeless in four months. So that doesn't work. I didn't own a big piece of land where I could build houses for people. And the city of Ashland where we are has yet to permit tiny house village and I don't think they're going to. So I started thinking, how could I house these families where they don't need a piece of land and where they could be safe and warm? And I thought of Lilith and her school bus. I had a dream about it. I looked up schoolies online. There's some 300,000 people in the United States living in school buses. There are people leaving regular houses and jobs in a preference to live in a really tricked out schoolie and drive around and homeschool their kids. There are a lot of people chasing a new kind of freedom. And I thought, why don't I try it? So I wrote a blog. The very next day, I got an email from a woman who said, I love your idea and I want to fund it. So I got the money and I got a bus and I found a builder. And sure enough, eight months later, out the other end came a house. And I have a family of five living in this house at the Jackson Well Springs. Just talked to them today. They're doing great. That's amazing. Well, I think this is part of this movement that you talk about. We're going to become nomads again. Yep. We're going to lose everything. We have to. It's the only way we can start over. I hear a lot of smart people saying that. It's kind of like the drug addict has to hit rock bottom before he reaches up for help. We're going to have to get destitute, whether it's something that we create ourselves or nature imposes on us based on our inability to take care of nature. Yeah. Either way, I see a cataclysmic event that occurs and we are humbled back into where we need to be so we can take care of each other. Yeah, that may be the case. I mean, certainly you look at climate change, there's a whole town that's not there anymore, Paradise. All these people need housing. And what I fear so much is that we'll forget this event. And in a year from now, when people show up homeless on our streets in Ashland, we'll be bitching about these homeless bums. These were people who lost everything, their jobs, their homes, their way of life, their whole community. And they need a place to live. So I've actually approached a group down in that area and said, hey, I'm ready to roll up my sleeves. You guys want to get some buses? I'll bring some builders down there. Let's start building them. Because it is a solution for people. It's 240 square feet. Our bus has a tile shower, an RV toilet. It has a full-size bed for the parents, two bunk beds for the kids, and a full kitchen, refrigerator, gas stove and oven. There's nothing they can't do in there. It's small, but it's not impossible. The dad's getting his master's degree. They have a computer. They can go online and look stuff up. Kids can do their homework in there. It's totally doable. And they're pretty darn happy. When I talked to them today, I said, hey, do you guys need anything? Are you feeling like the house is still working for you? Is there anything I need to do to help you? You want some lights? What would work? 
they're like, no, honestly, we're super happy. We love bus life. It's really fun. We have just what we need and not what we don't. I'm yeah. down to like two tubs and a backpack in this computer. Yeah. That's it. When shit goes down, I can be out lickety split. When I met you, everything I owned fit in my car. Remember my old Saturn? Yeah. Everything I owned fit in that car. And I was hoping to keep it that way. And I didn't. I have a few more things, but nothing I can't walk away from. There's nothing so valuable. I have my mom's old wedding ring. I'd like to keep that. But that fits in a pocket. Everything else I can live without. Well, I think we're going to find out what is it that we can walk away from. Yeah. And that's a great question. It's a great exercise to figure out how you can get smaller and smaller, smaller footprint, smaller needs, smaller amount of stuff, larger relationships. And I can share that with other people. Enthusiasm is very infectious, takes you a really long way. And believe in yourself. You're a good person. You're trying hard. You can get it done. You don't have to feel like if you don't know all the answers or you make a mistake that it can never be fixed. You can have a terrible relationship and repair it. I will say this about my family. I want to double back because it's really in my head and I have so much to think about. But I do want to say this. My father, before he died, I thought he and I would never come to the same page. This is a great story to me. Before he passed away, I came to see him. He was laying in a hospital bed. The room was full of people. It was really loud. He asked everybody to leave. He called me over to his bed and he said, I'm so glad you came. And I said, well, of course, Dad. And he said, you know, you always were the kind one. And I didn't understand, but I get it now. Thank you. That was the night before he died. There's always a chance for reconciliation. What a gift he gave me. What a wonderful thing. He didn't have to do that. It's huge. I never thought I would find that day, but it happened. That moment of grace. So no matter how bad you screw it up, you can always unscrew it. Amazing. And again, I'm hoping it doesn't come down to something that literally brings us to our knees. But at the same time, I hope that happens. <laughs> yeah, I hope we come back together. I hope we see the beauty in each other. I hope we are overwhelmed with what a stunning species we are capable of being. And every species is stunning. I'm not a speciesist, actually. I think that an earthworm has as much more value than I do. I really do. And I, I think I could prove it biologically and scientifically. I do hope we come to a time where we can look at each other and see the majesty of what it is to be alive and who we are and what we can contribute if we come together. What would the world be without musicians, without artists? Where would it be without thinkers and poets, without Citizen 44? All this stuff is so gorgeous and interconnected and complex. And whoever is the manifester of all of this beauty and majesty is beyond our imagination. And I suspect that whoever that is, is us. Well, I think as we become humbled, we get closer to what we think or we project as something else, as we call it God or whatever else, that we realize we're the ones and that we will make significant changes in order to do better. Yeah. And we will get the results. It's automatic. This is not some crazy science. If you're nice, you will get nice. It's a very simple thing that was created for us. Yeah. We have made it very difficult and challenging. If you serve others, you will be served. If you're grateful, you will get what you need. 
That's totally true. For sure, just doing the thing is cool enough. I was the mac and cheese lady at the homeless feed in the park on Monday nights all summer long, and then they moved it inside, and then I got busy, and then I wasn't the mac and cheese lady anymore. And I used to grumble about it, like, oh, it's such a pain. I have to stop everything I'm doing at 4 o'clock and make 30 gallons of mac and cheese, rah, rah, rah. And I whined about it. Man, I miss it so much. Because it's such a fun thing to just be able to be there. And people love mac and cheese. FYI, just to be clear, as a vegan, I had a vegan and a regular mac and cheese. And I got to say, pretty much the only one who ever ate the vegan mac and cheese was me. But I still made it. You're a vegan? <laughs> yeah. Do you know about my friend Rich's show, The Vegan Shaman? No. Check him out, The Vegan Shaman. He does okay. uh, YouTube. He's the producer of my show. He teaches people how to make some really delicious food. Oh, man, you can do crazy things with polenta. I love it, and I love experimenting and finding all the new vegetables. I love the vegetable of the week with the co-op, and they describe the vegetable. It's like a very exciting day for me. That's what life's about. It's about the things that you do that contribute, that you love and you enjoy, that you do consistently. That's who you are. Whatever you do consistently is who you are. You just said it. Whatever you do, that's who you are. Your demonstration is you. You can literally change your mind in one second and be somebody else. Isn't that stunning? We have been blessed with incredible gifts, unbelievable latitude for expression, and we do not fully take advantage of it in a beautiful way. I didn't believe it, but man, it's totally 100% accurate. Evolution has changed over time, and as a species, we adapt. And we will be adapting. Now, that doesn't mean we won't lose a lot of us in the process. And we will find new skill sets. We may come to a point where we don't need speech anymore. Think about your right hand. When you feel something in your right hand, raise your left hand. Think about your left foot. When you feel something in your left foot, raise your right hand. What magic did you just do? I don't know. You just moved your energy at will. So imagine you're a child and you were shown that and it takes 10 to 15,000 hours to master something. What could you now do knowing that you sent your energy wherever you wanted to? If you were trained and you did that every day, what could you do in 10 years? Imagine that multiple people are doing focused energy direction of healing and other things where could we be we'd maybe be scattered throughout the stars i agree yeah in a hundred years we might be heading towards adulthood as human beings that could be true and that's again very hopeful that's all i got baby i got <laughs> nothing but hope for us all right me too Thanks so much for coming and doing the show. I'm glad you came. It's good to reconnect with you. I love you, Mark Ahrensberg. I love you too, Julie Akins. You just got a call from somebody from, what is the organization? Birthright Israel something or other. Okay, so essentially you're going to get to go to Israel for free in July because you're a Jew. Basically. And you're even a converted Jew. You're not a natural born Jew, but we converted you to Judaism. Yeah. And even if you weren't, because Sam, your brother, isn't Jewish, he also has a birthright. I guess so. I don't know. They didn't ask me any questions about being converted to being Jewish, so. I think they may have excluded the idea that some people are adopted. What were some of the questions he asked you? 
some establishing questions like who I am and then about my parents, your relationship to being Jewish. A bunch of questions kind of confirming I wasn't a citizen of Israel or had gone to Israel because those are disqualifying things if you've gone to Israel since the age of 12. What are some other disqualifiers? It's mainly just the Israel thing and then you have to be Jewish and then lying on the application will get you disqualified. If the mother is Jewish automatically, maybe even if you're adopted, you're considered to be Jewish. Mom talked to some rabbi, or maybe just a Jewish person. I wasn't clear on that. At Emily's wedding, and she had mentioned that Sam wasn't Jewish, and he was like, no, he's Jewish. It's all good. Okay, well, that's cool. So it went pretty well. I sat here with you and your buddy, Addie, and we listened to your conversation as much as we could. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like you passed with flying Jewish colors. Hopefully. Which would be blue and white, of course. Obviously. Yeah. So when is the trip? End of July to the beginning of August. Okay. It's like a 10-day thing. And what do you have to provide going forward to secure this incredible opportunity? I have to have official documentation from my high school that basically says I will graduate May 31st and be a high school graduate. And then I have to get a doctor's note from like my doctor and my therapist saying I'm good to leave the country. What's your GPA? 3.867. Nice. What's your favorite class right now? EPGov. Why? Mr. Bowling's a really good teacher, makes government pretty interesting. And I like my class. We're like a really small class. It's intimate. Yeah. Okay. You graduate May 31st. You're done with high school. Done with the uh, basic official educational entry program. Yes. Very exciting. And what did we do last week? We went on a day trip to U of O in Eugene. How was that? It was pretty fun. It was a nice trip. I drove the whole way there. You did. I was very impressed. We listened to a little Philip K. Dick. Yeah. I thought it was a really good story. It was. And that was your first introduction into Philip K. Dick? Yes. I have it in a folder called I Love Dick. (laughs) You're funny. And it was called Second Variety. That was the whole point of the story. Yeah, it was really cool. I didn't know about Philip K. Dick until my friend Zach turned me on to one of his books. He's probably one of the greatest science fiction writers ever. And I'm not a sci-fi guy. I'm a sci-fi guy. But I am now about 160 pages into the final book of Harry Potter. Woo! What is the final book called? Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows. Deathly Hollows. You want me to tell you what the last thing is I read last night? Sure. They're leaving the borough. Mm-hmm. And the ministry has been taken over. Oh, yeah. They're all fleeing. They're running for their lives. Spicy. Voldemort has crushed the ministry, and they're scattering like ants. Hermione grabbed Ron and Harry and apparated them the blank out of there. So that's where I'm at. Voldemort's on his way looking for Harry to drill him a new a-hole. And then... uh, (laughs) It's an exciting book. Thank you for turning me on to the Harry Potter series. Are you a little surprised that I've read them all so far? Yes. You claimed you were going to stop after the first book. You were like, I'm going to read this one, and then I'm done. And I was like, um, no, you are not. And you did it. After I finish reading this book, we're going to watch all the movies, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Very exciting. Yeah. It's been a fun ride, i got to say. I've enjoyed it. Now I know why JK is a (laughs) multi-bazillionaire. I believe she's the wealthiest literary figure in the history of writing books. That's impressive. 
Yeah. She's got the seven books and then the eight movies and then bonus movies and bonus books and merchandising and theme parks. Like, she's going for it. If you go to Barnes & Noble, there is not just one section of Harry Potter. There's multiple sections of Harry Potter paraphernalia. Yeah, multiple. Yeah. Several little clumps of Harry Potter paraphernalia. Yeah. It's great. I love Harry Potter. And yes, we went to U of O in Eugene last week. We had a recommendation for food by Rich Reese to go to uh, Viva Vegetarian, which is this cool freestanding little outdoor restaurant with a couple little tables and everything they serve is vegan. So we decided to taste a few things. So we had tempeh tacos. Mm-hmm. We had the tempeh satay. Yes. We had French fries. Mm-hmm. We had the Philly cheesesteak. Mm-hmm. And you had a cherry soft serve vegan ice cream. Yeah. We also had Thai iced tea. We did. It was a very satisfying meal. Yeah. And then we went over to the campus and drove around and walked around and saw a couple of 44s together uh, <laughs> and had a good time. Yeah, it was nice. It was a great day. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. You're very easy to hang out with and uh, I appreciate that. Oh, thanks. No, thank you. <laughs> so what's on tap? What do you got going on now? I have homework on tap. What do you have? English and math? Actually, yes. And AP government and anatomy and child psych. Are you excited about being done with high school pretty damn soon? Yes. I find it super boring at this point. It's a little stressful, but just mainly boring. The endless go home, do homework, wake up the next day, go back to school, get more homework, do that homework, go to bed, repeat. I'm tired of it. Yeah. It's a good thing you're going to college so you can go to school, get homework, go back to your dorm, do homework, go to bed, Mm -hmm. and do that routine, which will be similar yet different. A little more freedom involved. Question. Choice. Question for you. Question. Uh, (laughs) Did it occur to you perhaps to take some time off before you decided to dive right back into the academic life? It occurred to me. I just didn't think it would be all that useful to me in the long run. I feel like a lot of people take a year off so they can travel or make money to like facilitate college or like they have a specific goal in mind. And I feel like with me, I would just kind of procrastinate anything I actually had to do and... Lay in bed and watch TV on your phone? Yeah. And I would just like read my whole book library and just like hang out. I think it's easier to get into college. Personally, when you're doing it right out of high school, there are a lot of benefits, like you have counselors and all those things from the high school. And I think I'd rather finish my education and then get to live my life and be like, I'm gonna go travel, I'm gonna go do this. I would be concerned that I would put off college indefinitely, doing whatever the hell I wanted. Well, what if you discovered something that you wanted to do and decided not to go to college? Most of the things I'm interested in require more advanced degrees than just winging it. I would if I had like a serious passion, I would say. Like if I was super interested in art or music or something along those lines that didn't necessarily require college. Or if I was like super into woodworking, I would probably pursue that and not do college just because I feel like those are things you can do without a college education if you become like a tradesperson. I feel like you can build your brand and your product and sell that, whether it's art or jewelry or furniture or anything like that. 
but the things I'm interested in are more like education, psychology, teaching, or social work. And I feel like those things, like I wouldn't be successful if I just skipped college and was like, I'm going to be a teacher. A school would be like, no, you're not going to be a teacher because you need a effing degree. Or like, I'm going to be your psychologist. Someone would be like, no, you're not. I want a real doctor. Right. I just think for me personally, it wouldn't work out well. You got a full ride going to U of O, right? Yeah. Well, that's cool. Yes. And what's the other university you're considering? Oregon State. What about the other one in Washington? What was that one? Puget oh, Puget Sound? Sound. Yeah. Yeah. I like Puget Sound a lot. It's the same kind of reason I like University of Portland. They're both smaller schools with community aspect, and that's just more my scene. But recently, over spring break, I went through all the schools and the financial information, and I calculated the cost of attending those schools for four years. And for Puget Sound, even with all the financial aid, it's upwards of $65,000. And for University of Portland, it's upwards of $93,000 for four years. That's just too much money for me. I get how some people, if the environment is important to them, might want to shell out that amount of money or if they feel confident that their career afterwards will make it easy enough for them to pay back the debt if they want to be like a lawyer or a doctor or something. But I'm considering being a teacher, which as we well know, is not a super well-paying career. And I don't really want to leave college after however many years I go. I may need more than an undergraduate degree and have to automatically get many jobs to try and struggle through the hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt that I've accumulated, because this is just undergraduate. So if I have like 100,000 during this, I'm probably gonna end up going to graduate school, so that's much more. And then that's just such a limiting factor for my life. Like I couldn't jet off to Europe for a couple months because I would need to consistently be making money to pay down that debt. I think it makes people live the life that society has planned for us. You start school, you work through school, you graduate high school, you go to college. After college, you get a job, you get another job, you get promoted, you fall in love, you get married, you have kids, you retire, your life's over, that's it. And I feel like that's a valid path for some people, but I don't want to tie myself to that sort of path just because of going to college. Some people treat college like it's this follow your dream, it's like the thing, but college is really a means to an end. Like it's a great experience and I'm excited to go, but you're getting an education so you can really start your life. So you can go places and do what you wanna do and experience your life how you want to. It's not the end all be all. So what's your favorite restaurant now? Greenleaf. Oh, okay. Then bonsai is not your favorite restaurant. Oh no, actually I like bonsai a lot. Whoa. So okay. is there a dual? My favorite or... Ashland restaurant is Greenleaf. My favorite Medford restaurant, Bonsai. Okay. If one of them had to be blown up, one of them has to go. Those two cannot coexist. Yeah. Which one has to go? Probably Greenleaf. Because I'm really into the veggie bento that they have at Bonsai in yeah. Medford. We love it. We go yeah. there as regularly as humanly possible. Yes, probably like once a week. And they do not have to ask us for our order anymore. We've become kind of regulars, and they know that we're getting the bento box and the veggie roll and maybe some tea, Mm -hmm. and then you get some mochi. Mochi, mochi, mochi. It's just nice. It's good times. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to tell the people about the stuff? 
I don't think so. Okay, well, it was fun. I'm glad you let me listen in on your conversation about your birthright trip to Israel. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. I don't know if they actually had that when I was uh, a youth, but both your brother and you can take advantage of it, and it's pretty cool. Pretty cool, man. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Love you, Zoe. Love you too, Dad. Thanks for coming on the show. No problem. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. We're all living in a simulation. Some alien race out there using our misery for entertainment. How's the comic book going? It's languishing unfinished. You don't have time because you're working your ass off at Kyle's terrible restaurant. <laughs> 3.59, Bob. Cutting it close. You should be grateful that you have a job. Grateful. Maybe I'll join you. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm 14 again. Drawing comics and needing a ride home. <laughs> close your eyes for a minute. I want you to visualize what you'll be doing 10 years from now. Are you serious? I think you've lost your mind. No, you're not visualizing it, Bobby. Come on, close your eyes. I'm not close my eyes anymore. I feel like an idiot. You could roll. I remember. It's completely useless talent. Rising Phoenix, come for the pizzas. Oh, my God. Stay for the bowling. Oh! Your aliens made you do that strike. It's my destiny, Bobby. I know it is. Imagine being an owner, drawing your comics whenever you want. Oh, man. Serious? That's what I'm talking about. Ooh. Bobby? My partner, Carlos, makes this delicious dough with his hands. Yes. I got 300 scores before, but nobody ever put my pictures in the papers. You should enter our grand opening tournament. You haven't even seen me roll, Hoffy. You haven't seen the action on my ball. Mario put his money in too. He's right to ask questions. I'm his proxy. I've been helping you for months. You've been helping Mario. You are a paranoid little child. I don't know what to say, Theo. Leaving a lot of money on the table. Nice going. You're going down. Not your fault. Well, if it's not my fault, then it's Tanya's. If it's not Tanya's fault, then it's the aliens. You need to take care of yourself, Bobby. I am fine. I am a grown woman. These could be the best years of your life. Do you realize that? Visualize. This is what I live for, Hoffy. Frame 10. These two geniuses are opening up a pizza parlor slash bowling alley. It's classy. Phoenix, Oregon. Well, that's the show. I hope you enjoyed it. It was really great to catch up with Julie Aikens. She's such a nice lady, so thoughtful. She's really here to do some serious work and a lot of props to her. It's a tough time to be a person like her and we need more people like her. And I appreciate Julie's efforts and know that she's absolutely making a dent in the world and making it a better place. I wanna thank Zoe, my adorable daughter, my Daja, my Daja Zoe for everything. She's such a wonderful lady, and I'm really happy that we get to spend the kind of time we get to spend together and share the things we get to share together. And uh, Rich, hey Rich, Richie Rich Rich, check out his show, The Vegan Shaman, The Vegan Shaman. 
That's on YouTube. Hopefully, he's going to be picking up some new episodes this year. But uh, what a guy. Really having a good time being his friend, being involved with him in the show, and all these other things that we're uh, starting to do together professionally. So uh, thanks, Rich. You're a big part of the whole thing. And uh, I can't imagine my thing without your thing in it, so to speak. Citizen 44 with Mark Ahrensberg is a listener-supported presentation. Thank you so much for listening. I love doing the show. I love doing it for you and for me. You can check out all episodes all the time, day or night, at CastBox, at iTunes, and at Stitcher. You can also listen to them anytime at Ahrensberg.com. That's A-R-I-N-S-B-E-R-G. Thank you so much. It's an honor for me to do the show. It's an honor for me to have these unique individuals tell their story and add, I hope, something to your experience. And as always, thank you so much. Take care. Don't forget to check out Phoenix, Oregon, the movie. This is Gary Lundgren's fourth film premiering worldwide on April 13th right here at the Ashland Armory in Ashland, Oregon, headlining the Ashland Independent Film Festival. Check it out. Thank you, Sam, Zoe, and Val. If whatever you're doing is not working, there's only one way you can change that, and that's to change what you do, 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 change what you do. I am Citizen 44. <laughs>